Blessings, family. Welcome to Know the Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Brother Yatab. And in today's episode, we are going to be covering an in-depth look at the truth behind some of the customs and traditions associated with the celebration of Christmas. And what is the truth according to the Word of God? Stay tuned. Christmas. Customs and Traditions, Part 1. So, by the end of this episode, you should have an in-depth understanding on the history of Christmas and the different aspects associated with it today. So, again, this lesson is cumulative in nature. So, please, pay attention to the content as some things I will mention vaguely and then go in-depth later, or vice versa. So, this first segment is... Merry Christmas. What is the origin of the term Merry Christmas? And what does it mean? So what is the origin of the word Christmas? Christmas comes from the old English word Christus Mose, the mass or festival of Christ. The first celebration took place in Rome about the middle of the 4th century. The exact date of the nativity is not known. But even in pre-Christian times, the period between December 25th and January 6th was considered a special time of year, now known as the 12 Days of Christmas. The abbreviation Xmas, thought as sacrilegious by some, is entirely appropriate. The letter X means chi, C-H-I or chai, is the first letter in the Greek word for Christ. And that's from dictionary.reference.com. And now let's get mass, word origin. Before 900, Middle English mass, Old English massi, vulgar Latin messa, late Latin missa, formerly feminine of Latin missus, past participle of meter to send meaning to send or dismiss perhaps extracted from a phrase in the service with missa est and a feminine subject now old english mass from church latin missa ultimately from latin metra to meaning to send away perhaps derived from the concluding dismissal in the Roman mass. That is, go, it is the dismissal. And that's from dictionary.com. So now, in short, you're saying happy dismissal of Christ. Merry, meaning happy, Christmas with Christ, and then mass equals mass or dismiss, dismissal or the sending away of Christ. And if it's supposed to be in representation of his birth, why are they then thus celebrating sending him away in terms of Merry Christmas? The next segment is the reason for the season. What people like to think it is, is Jesus is the reason for the season. What it really is, is pagans 
are the reason for the season. Putting Christ back in Christmas is impossible. He never was there to begin with. Christmas is a pagan custom filled with pagan traditions that focuses on the winter solstice. That's from Rotten E-Cards. I love Jesus. Christmas. Slapping a Jesus label on something wicked. And again, referencing Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, how you can't call something good evil or evil good. God does not like that. It's not even this segment. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you about what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. Let's get Jeremiah 10, 1 through 4. It says, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus said the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the heathen are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth the tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. So, it's a pagan holiday, Charlie Brown. Let's get the next segment. The holiday spirit. What spirit or spirits are you really getting into? And I'm going to read this from the two Babylons. The Roman Saturnalia was a carnival in the truest sense. Its participants partaking in carnal as well as carnivorous pleasures. The drinking of alcoholic beverages factored heavily into Saturnalia celebrations to the point where the holiday became synonymous with debauchery and lewd behavior. Page 39. The one has to ask, is that something you want to be associated with? Let's get the definition of debauchery. Debauchery from dictionary.com. Excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. Intemperance. Let's get the definition of lewd. Using the same source. Inclined to, characterized by, or inciting to lust or lechery. Lascivious. Obscene or indecent as language or songs. Salacious. Now obsolete. Low, ignorant, or vulgar. Also have base, vile, or wicked, especially of a person. Bad, worthless, or poor, especially of a thing. So now, the next spirit you deal with, the spirit of drugs and drunkenness. 1 Samuel. Let's get 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. Let's get the book of 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. And it reads, verse 13. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. So now listen is Eli thought Hannah, the mother of Samuel, was drunk. But what was the counsel and the words that he gave her? Verse 14. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thine wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. 
So now she made reference because it's lawful for one to drink wine or have strong drink. Just do not drink it in excess to where now one is heavily inebriated. One is drunk now. And so he gave her that correction. Let's get a couple of scriptures in regards to this. So because someone had come down to these days and celebrations, it become down to weekend forecasts, mild alcoholism with a 70 percent chance of poor decisions and poor judgment an increasing chance of regret and a hangover for Sunday. And this is why God has laws not to hurt us, but to make sure that we're abiding in a way that is healthy both for our sake and when dealing with our fellow man. Let's get Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So you are not to be drunk because that is now excessive. You've gone over in terms of what is good, right, or acceptable for you to have or indulge in from there let's go ahead and get the book of Tobit the book of Tobit chapter 4 and let's get verse 15 Tobit chapter 4 and verse 15 I'll go ahead and read this right now Tobit 4 and 15 do that to no man which thou hatest, which we've been taught from a young age. Treat others the way you would like to be treated. A biblical principle. Drink not wine to make thee drunken, neither let drunkenness go with thee in thy journey. So we're told in wisdom through the scriptures, do not drink to intentionally become drunk. Nor, if you've had a considerable amount to drink nor should you be trying to travel from one place to the next let's get the next spirit spirit of theft and vandalism holiday season is open season for crime theft and property crimes greatly increase between thanksgiving and new year's day don't let your home or business fall victim like most of us Criminals truly love the holiday season, but they love this time of year not for spiritual or sentimental reasons. The holiday season is open season as far as criminals are concerned. It's a time for grand opportunity to steal. And that's from businessknowhow.com forward slash security forward slash holiday. Let's get the next source. As the peak of the holiday gift buying season approaches and more people are ordering online, here's the downside. Grinch-like bandits are swiping the deliveries from doorsteps when families are not home. Some thieves follow UPS and FedEx trucks along their routes and nab the gifts, while others simply drive through residential neighborhoods looking for packages. And that's from the New York NewYorkTimes.com. Thefts a concern as holiday deliveries increase. Let's get into the next spirit. The spirit of greed. 
And so even as some say that, remember to support the banks and corporations this Christmas and their continued efforts to enslave mankind by spending money you haven't got on things you don't need. But now, what is greed? Greed, excessive or rapacious desire, especially for wealth or possessions. And now let's get this, Walmart stampede. People really go wild over Christmas gadgets and gizmos. So wild, in fact, that they behave like wild animals and stampede into large retail stores, hoping to get the best deal on the coolest new items. But recently, this trend has taken a decidedly less innocent turn, as workers and bystanders have been trampled by frenzied shoppers. This Christmas, remember why we really celebrate the holidays and get your shopping done in a decidedly less deadly fashion and that's from criminal justice degree guide.com features forward slash features for slash 10 strange but true christmas crimes let's get the next spirit the spirit of guilt and selfishness so people have all of these long laundry lists of things that they want kids things that they want and yet and still, it can impose a spirit of selfishness. So many times the season is set around what it is I want, what I need. And then can leave parents in a state of guilt, feeling as if they're less than for not being able to provide the particular gift or present that their child and even their spouse may have desired. And still, not only then, even touching back, like we're doing spirit of, of thievery and still the same guilt, the spirit of guilt can lead to that spirit of theory because now one is willing to rob, steal, and kill just to get some sort of Christmas or gifts just to try to put under the Christmas tree. And so now let's get the next spirit, the spirit of emulation. Emulation is a level of unrighteous competition. And so now you have, and even reading this you know, card, I hope you really like your present so I can lord over you how much better I am at gift giving. Because now I become the competition of who can give the better gift, who can give the more expensive or pricier gift, rather than just simply being happy to have received anything at all. Which leads to the spirit of boasting. So... You have those that are boasting over, look at how much I got. Look at how much I received versus how much you received. In the spirit of ungratefulness, I just bought a $25 gift card just to get a $25 gift card back. So all I got was a book. So the spirit of ungratefulness also takes root. Then you have the spirit of falsehood and liars. When your parents accuse you, of lying to them, just look at them in the eye and say, the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, Tooth Fairy, all these lies of things that aren't true. This obese Caucasian man comes down your chimney, which most of us don't even have, and yet eats these milk and cookies that half of us don't even make and leaves these presents underneath the tree. Let's get into the next segment, Christmas Carols. 
So many may enjoy the singing on all the different songs that come around during this time. So carols were first sung in Europe thousands of years ago, but these were not Christmas carols. They were pagan songs sung at the winter solstice celebrations as people danced round stone circles. The word carol originally meant to dance to something. The winter solstice is the shortest day of the year, usually taking place around the 22nd of December. The word carol actually means dance or a song of praise and joy. Carols used to be written and sung during all four seasons, but only the tradition of singing them at Christmas has really survived. Early Christians took over the pagan solstice celebrations for Christmas and gave people Christian songs to sing instead of pagan ones. In AD 129, a Roman bishop said that a song called, quote, Angel's Hymn, end quote, should be sung at a Christmas service in Rome. Another famous early Christmas hymn was written in 760 AD by Comus of Jerusalem for the Greek Orthodox Church. Soon after this, many composers all over Europe started to write Christmas carols. However, not many people liked them as they were all written and sung in Latin, a language that the normal people couldn't understand. By the time of the Middle Ages, the 1200s, most people had lost interest in celebrating Christmas altogether. This was changed by St. Francis of Assisi when in 1223 he started his nativity plays in Italy. The people in the plays sang songs or catechals that told the story during the plays. Sometimes the choruses of these new carols were in Latin, but normally they were all in a language that the people watching the play could understand and join in. The new carols spread to France, Spain, Germany, and other European countries. And that's from whychristmas.com forward slash customs forward slash carols underscore history. The act of traveling to different homes comes from a different tradition altogether, albeit a similarly ancient one. In England, the word wassail derived from the Old Norse veshel, meaning be well and in good health, came to mean the wishing of good fortune on your neighbors. No one is quite sure when the custom began, but it did give us the song, Here We Come a Wassailing, sung as carolers wish good cheer to their neighbors in hopes of getting a gift in return. A wassailing also evolved into the popular we wish you a Merry Christmas. Its last verse, Bring Us Some Figgy Pudding, stems from the Resailer's original intent. And that's from content.time.com forward slash time forward slash world forward slash article. So now, when we deal with the definition of wish, what are we dealing with? Let's get dictionary.com. So, wish means to want, desire, long for, to request or charge. However, when you're dealing with the scriptures, is wish 
the primary thing that we deal with. And in fact, what we are to deal with as Bible believers is prayer. Let's get the book of John chapter 9 and let's read verse 31. The book of John chapter 9 and verse 31. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. So we're understanding, and this is, of course, in the New Testament, that the creator is not one that hearkens and, and follows, not that he cannot necessarily hear the voice of one that is a sinner, but he's not going to listen unto their prayer and follow through with what's being asked if someone is living a sinful or wicked lifestyle. But if you're a true worshiper of God and you do and move according to his will, then God, he not only hears you, he listens to what it is that you are requesting. And it's not necessarily 100% guarantee he'll do it because he exercises wisdom on what it is he will bring forth in your life and he won't in some things in due season. But it's all according to you moving in accordance to his will. Let's get the book of Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 9. So let's get the book of Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 9. The book of Proverbs chapter 28 in verse 9, and it reads, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. So if you're not trying to hear the good things in which the Bible speaks of and trying to put them into practice, your prayer is abominable. It's utterly detestable to God. He doesn't want to hear it because, again, we tend to treat God like a genie. Anything I want, gimme, 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 gimme. But then we expect very little from us in return to give unto him. Just simply believe in your heart and that's it. Well, no, God requires us to change. That's what we're repenting, to change and begin to follow him in spirit and in truth. And begin to make changes in our life. How we speak, how we treat one another, and truly become a good person by doing the right thing according to him. Let's get 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 47 through 51. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 47. Yet if they shall bethink themselves in the land whether they were carried captives and repent and make supplication unto thee in the land of them that carried them captive, saying, We have sinned, we have done perversely, we have committed wickedness, and so return unto thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies, which led them away captive, and pray unto thee toward their land, which thou gavest unto their fathers, the city which thou hast chosen, and the house which I have built for thy name. Then hear thou their prayer and their supplication in heaven, thy dwelling place, 
and maintain their cause and forgive thy people that have sinned against thee and all their transgressions wherein they have transgressed against thee and give them compassion before them who carried them captive that they may have compassion on them for they be thy people and thine inheritance which thou broughtest forth out of Egypt from the midst of the furnace of iron so there's requirements when it comes down to prayer and we have to make sure we're doing what we can to fulfill those requirements so now let's get the next segment christmas stockings so many of us love the red and white stockings that many either drape on their walls because they have no chimney or drape directly over their chimneys the legend of the christmas stocking the most popular legend about why stockings are hung at Christmas goes something like this. A recently widowed man and father of three girls was having a tough time making ends meet. Even though his daughters were beautiful, he worried that their impoverished status would make it impossible for them to marry. St. Nicholas was wandering through the town, was wandering through the town where the man lived and heard villagers discussing that family's plight. He wanted to help, but knew the man would refuse any kind of charity directly. Instead, one night, he slid down the chimney of the family's house and filled the girl's recently laundered stockings, which happened to be drying by the fire with gold coins. And then he disappeared. The girls awoke in the morning, overjoyed upon discovering the bounty. Because of St. Nick's generosity, the daughters were now eligible to wed and their father could rest easy that they wouldn't fall into lonely despair. Phew! While obviously far-fetched, this tale of unknown origin and date is most widely referenced when it comes to the history of the Christmas stocking. And that's from smithsonianmag.com forward slash arts culture forward slash the legend of the Christmas stocking. Another explanation for the tradition of Christmas stockings may be found in Dutch lore. In Holland, Sinterklaas arrives on a ship from Spain with his assistant, Zwarty Pete, or Black Pete. Upon disembarking, they travel the country with Sinterklaas upon his noble white steed and Zwarty Pete riding a mule. Dutch children would leave treats of carrots and hay in their clogs or wooden shoes. For the horse and mule and center claws would in turn fill the shoes with small gifts for the children after the horse and mule had enjoyed the treats. When Dutch settlers immigrated to America, they brought many of their traditions with them. Over time, center claws came to be known as Santa Claus. And it is quite possible that wooden clogs were eventually replaced by stockings. In any event, the habit of hanging Christmas stockings with the expectation they will be filled with small gifts from Santa is a tradition now enjoyed by countless children the world over. That's from altogetherchristmas.com forward slash traditions forward slash stockings. And so, and remember, as you have settlers coming over. They're always bringing 
different traditions and passing those down to their children and influencing other people and other nations to do the same. He that have ears to hear, let them hear. Let's get the next segment, the candles. Saturnalia. It was an occasion for celebration, visits to friends, and the presentation of gifts, particularly wax candles, perhaps to signify the returning light after the solstice and siglaria. That's from penelope.uchicago.edu forward slash grout forward slash encyclopedia Romania forward slash calendar forward slash Saturnalia. And notice these things are all again made to appear so good, so beautiful, so festive. So now going back to the two Babylons, the candles in some parts of England lighted on Christmas Eve and used so long as the festive season lasts were equally lighted by the pagans on the eve of the festival of the Babylonian God to do honor to him. For it is one of the distinguishing peculiarities of his worship to have lighted wax candles on his altar. That's from page 126 of the two Babylons. So chapter three, festivals. Again, by Alexander Hislop. Let's get the next segment, the mistletoe. The plant. Mistletoe is a partial parasite, a hemiparasite. It grows on the branches or trunk of a tree and actually sends out roots that penetrate into the tree and take up nutrients. But mistletoe is also capable of growing on its own. However, it's more commonly found growing as a parasitic plant. There are two types of mistletoe. The mistletoe that is commonly used as a Christmas decoration, Ferradendron flavescens, is native to North America and grows as a parasite on trees from New Jersey to Florida. The other type of mistletoe, Viscum album, is of European origin. The European mistletoe is a green shrub with small yellow flowers and white sticky berries which are considered poisonous. It commonly seen on apple but only rarely on oak trees. The rare oak mistletoe was greatly venerated by the ancient Celts and Germans and used as a ceremonial plant by early Europeans. The Greeks and earlier peoples thought that it had mystical powers and down through the centuries it became associated with many folklore customs. The Mistletoe Magic From the earliest times, mistletoe has been one of the most magical, mysterious, and sacred plants of European folklore. It was considered to bestow life and fertility, a protection against poison and an aphrodisiac. The mistletoe of the sacred oak was especially sacred to the ancient Celtic Druids. On the sixth night of the moon, white-robed Druid priests would cut the oak mistletoe with a golden sickle. 
Two white bulls will be sacrificed amid prayers that the recipients of the mistletoe would prosper. Later, the ritual of cutting the mistletoe from the oak came to symbolize the emasculation of the old king by his successor. Mistletoe was long regarded as both a sexual symbol and the soul of the oak. It was gathered at both midsummer and winter solstices. And the custom of using mistletoe to decorate houses at Christmas is a survival of the Druid and other pre-Christian traditions. The Greeks also thought that it had mystical powers, and down through the centuries, it became associated with many folklore customs. In the Middle Ages and later, branches of mistletoe were hung from ceilings to ward off evil spirits. In Europe, they were placed over a house and stable doors to prevent the entrance of witches. It was also believed that the oak mistletoe could extinguish fire. This was associated with an earlier belief that the mistletoe itself could come to the tree during a flash of lightning. The traditions which began with the European mistletoe were transferred to the similar American plant with the process of immigration and settlement. Now, kissing under the mistletoe. Kissing under the mistletoe is first found associated with the Greek festival of Saturnalia and later with primitive marriage rites. They probably originated from two beliefs. One belief was that it was it has power to bestow fertility. It was also believed that the dung from which the mistletoe would also possess life-giving power. In Scandinavia, mistletoe was considered a plant of peace, under which enemies could declare a truce or warring spouses kiss and make up. Later, the 18th century English credited with a certain magical appeal called a kissing ball. At Christmas time, a young lady standing under a ball of mistletoe, brightly trimmed with evergreens, ribbons, and ornaments, cannot refuse to be kissed. In some parts of England, the Christmas mistletoe is burned on the twelfth night, lest all the boys and girls who have kissed under it never marry. Whether we believe it or not, it always makes for fun and frolic at Christmas celebrations, even if the pagan significance has been long forgotten. The custom of exchanging a kiss under the mistletoe can still be found in many European countries as well as in Canada. Thus, if a couple in love exchanges a kiss under the mistletoe, it is interpreted as a promise to marry, as well as a prediction of happiness and long life. In France, the custom linked to mistletoe was reserved for New Year's Day. Agi Anouf, mistletoe for the new year. Today, kisses can be exchanged under the mistletoe anytime during the holiday season. The Legend for its supposedly mystical power, mistletoe has long been at the center of many folklore. 
One is associated with the goddess Frigga. The story goes that mistletoe was the sacred plant of Frigga, goddess of love and the mother of Baldur, the god of the summer sun. Baldur had a dream of death, which greatly alarmed his mother, for should he die, all life on earth would end. In an attempt to keep this from happening, Frigga went at once to air, fire, water, earth, and every animal and plant, seeking a promise that no harm would come to her son. Balder now could not be hurt by anything on earth or under the earth. But Balder had one enemy, Loki, god of evil, and he knew of one plant that Frigga had overlooked in her quest to keep her son safe. It grew neither on the earth nor under the earth, but on apple and oak trees. It was lowly mistletoe. So Loki made an arrow tip of the mistletoe, gave to the blind god of winter, Holder, who shot it, striking Balder dead. The sky paled, and all things in earth and heaven wept for the sun god. For three days, each element tried to bring Balder back to life. He was finally restored by Frigga, the goddess and his mother. It is said the tears she shed for her son turned into the pearly white berries on the mistletoe plant, and in her joy, Frigga kissed everyone who passed beneath the tree on which it grew. The story ends with the decree that who should ever stand under the humble mistletoe, no harm should befall them, only a kiss, a token of love. What could be more natural than to translate the spirit of this old myth into a Christian way of thinking and accept the mistletoe as the emblem of that love which conquers death. And that's from theholidayspot.com forward slash Christmas forward slash history forward slash mistletoe. Now, going back to the two Babylons, let the reader look at the singular practice still kept up in the South on Christmas Eve of kissing under the mistletoe bow. That mistletoe bow in the Druidic superstition, which, as we have seen, was derived from Babylon, was a representation of the Messiah, the man, the branch. The mistletoe was regarded as a divine branch, a branch that came from heaven and grew upon a tree that sprung out of the earth. The kiss being the well-known token of pardon and reconciliation. Page 127 of The Two Babylons by Reverend Alexander Hislop, Chapter 3, Festivals. Let's get the next segment, The Wreath. The Wreath is a funeral arrangement. Notice, if you just type in wreath, just type in wreath in your search bar on the internet, through whatever browser you use, Yahoo, Bing, Google, and you'll find that wreath is an arrangement of flowers, leaves, or stems fastened in a ring and used for decoration or for laying on a grave. And now, if you type in specifically funeral wreath, you'll see the same thing comes up if you look at images. 
images for wreath and images for funeral wreath are synonymous. Even if you look up wreath decoration, you'll see that it is synonymous. So again, what's the difference? Well, other than one is on a stand and one is on a door, there is no difference. And so now, a check on learning, is Christmas a biblical holy day? No. What are some Christmas traditions, stockings, gifts, trees, etc.? What are some of the origins of Christmas traditions? Again, paganism. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember to show your support by following and sharing the podcast with family and friends. Next episode, if God permits, we will be going over the second segment of Customs and Traditions of Christmas in the final episode of this three-part segment and that you don't want to miss.